Activia offers a range of yogurts which are a delicious way to look after your gut health. From the fruit range with carefully selected ingredients to no added sugar and 0% fat offering, as well as a cereals range, there's an Activia for everyone. Made with a unique blend of five ferments creating an irresistibly creamy texture, each pot of Activia is a source of calcium, making it the perfect addition to your daily routine. Activia helps support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, I hope you're staying healthy and safe and getting some exercise, including within that five kilometer radius over the course of the last week or two. We've interviewed people about positivity, meditation, mindset in the last couple of weeks. And my guest this week is an expert in something that I think has genuinely got people through the COVID-19 pandemic in terms of mental health, in terms of physical health, and in terms of overall health. Jim Gavin, broadcaster, author, designer, and gardener extraordinaire. Welcome to Real Health. How are Great you? Great to be here. I'm good, Carl. How are you? I'm fantastic. So I'm going to start with life, I suppose. How have you been surviving the last uh, 10 weeks or so? It seems strange, but I've kind of enjoyed it, avoiding the real world. Uh, I've been on lockdown at home here in my house in County Wicklow, Usually now I'm very aware of obviously what's going on outside the hardships that there's uh, been the tragedies and indeed some friends have had COVID. Um, so that's been challenging and scary and uh, everything like that. But for me, in my own little bubble, I've been at home for the first time in 25 years and I've been watching my own garden grow and slightly scared to go back out the front door and say when they tell us we can. So the whole idea of pausing and being at home has been a, a has been a, a welcome surprise. And I think for many people, not just yourself, myself included, um, it's been nice to be home and appreciate what we have. It really has been, if you're lucky enough, first of all, to have a home, to have space, to like the people that you're on lockdown with. Uh, and then for me to have that outdoor space and to really get to discover it, you know, a garden that I've been building for years and whatever, but really to get to know it this year and to marvel at the day-to-day changes, not disappearing. You know, my normal life is half four in the morning out the door to the airport to someplace and maybe arriving back that night, very late, or a few nights later, and you kind of stumble into the garden, oh, that's happening, that's happening, and then you go off to do something else, which isn't particularly healthy. So this time of peace and quiet, coinciding with the great weather we've had this spring, has been well, very different and somewhat enjoyable. Do you associate uh, being at home in the garden with work? Uh, is it like the famous adage of the carpenter's house is always the last thing to get done? Uh, when it comes to yourself, do you associate being at home in the garden yourself with work? Do you find it hard to, to get into that? And has the space given, this time frame given you that? No, sometimes I'm scared of it. If I've been away for a while, I don't know what my relationship with the plot is. So I wander out and I'm scared to touch anything i'm looking around to see what's happened so i feel because i love gardens so much i love plants so much i love the soil so much when you've been away from that in your own place you feel guilty 
and dislocated from it uh, in, in some way. But it only takes 10 minutes and you're back in the depths of it. It never feels like a job. It always feels like the hobby when I'm working in my own place. And indeed, if I'm planting up other people's gardens, I have to say it often feels like a, uh, a hobby too. I really love the subject and I love having a place of my own and getting to express what I like with nobody judging in my own plot. I think anyone who watches you or follows you uh, can really get that sense. I think it translates through, translates through the camera in terms of that true love for what you do. How did you come? How did you discover that? How did you discover this is what you wanted to do? And from a career perspective, how did you get into it? I I, I discovered that not much was expected of me academically. I grew up in a bit of a troubled kind of family with, you know, the black dog of depression and a bit of drink in the background. And it was a time in the 1980s when there was a bit of unemployment around. So it was easy to get lost in your own mind, become a little bit of a dreamer. And I knew I loved nature. We lived very near, I love nature and I love design. We lived near a great park, Bushy Park in Rathfarnham. Uh, in, in Dublin and there was a woodland there and I was captivated by the mystery of this woodland with old abandoned buildings with a lake with bamboo going around that lake and I was captivated so much that at the age of six and seven I was taking my dad's gardening tools and crossing the river getting into that massive park and making my own little gardens up underneath the trees so I was a strange one. Let's chat health uh, and let's chat your own health. Uh, I know you're now a runner. You run 5K on a regular basis. You have a running, but you have someone that you run with, uh, socially distant, obviously, I think. Um, and even in terms of you know weight and weight loss, you've lost a significant amount of weight over the last couple of years. Tell us a little bit about that in terms of why you decided th- that you wanted to lose weight. I think I lived a very, a really quite wonderful, but very unhealthy lifestyle for a long time. I found myself in London, um, oh, in about 1996, 1997. I found myself living there and I worked very hard, but I also then something crept up on me that I was on the road all the time. I was making television programs. It's an unhealthy life. And then I found myself in a position of notoriety or fame, getting invited here, there, everywhere. And I'd have my friends pile over from Dublin, the family pile over from Dublin. And I partied and I loved it. And I had extraordinary experiences through it. But something wasn't right uh, for me. I moved, we had a little one. uh, Epi was born 15 years ago. And I moved back to Dublin. And that really woke me up. Not in a good way, because I was used to a party lifestyle in London. But the party lifestyle in Dublin really shocked me, and I didn't like it. It was just too much. And I'd go out with a group of friends, typically on a Friday night, every two, three weeks. And, you know, I'd fall into the door at three or four in the morning. I was over the age of 40. And I began not to like this, and I began to suggest to them, look, maybe we'll do, maybe we go for a run before we go out, or maybe we go for a swim. And actually, nobody else was really that interested. We tried that once or twice, and I realized, no, if you're, if you're not liking this, don't do it. 
really enjoying being in the moment. But if you're not liking it, don't do it for the sake of being in with a crowd. Do your own thing. So I cut out the partying kind of overnight. I stopped drinking. I was never a smoker. I had, we had our little one, Epi, and I decided while Epi was young, I just wasn't going to do that anymore. So I stopped everything. Uh, coinciding with that, I made a program, uh, I think for maybe for Channel 4, it was called 71 Degrees, Degrees North, and it was a challenge with a group of people bringing us to Norway. And it was a kind of a survival endeavor. And I met, there were two people in particular that had an impression on me. One who I'd known previously, Andrew Castle, a Davis Cup tennis player. And then there was a rugby player called Gavin Henson. And on this program, which is a reality show that's been running in the Nordic countries and in places like Canada forever, um, it, was, it was very tough. And pulling sledges was very tough and making your own looking after a team of huskies and making your own encampment and i remember having a particularly tough day and andrew turning around to me to say look you're going to be fine you have a great heart your heart is bumping away and all he needed to say was that i said how do you know that he says i've watched you for years and i know you've been around for dinner and uh, i know what you're made of yeah you've been away but uh, you're well able for this and something extraordinary happened in that the program was shut down because the weather got so bad and that had never happened. And when the program shut down, they shipped us out by helicopter to some hotels for two days. And we partied like mad. And I remember one day, one early morning, Gavin Henson was in the room with me. And I realized our call time was seven o'clock and this was 5 a.m. and I hadn't slept a wink. And I told him he had to go, and we found ourselves knee-deep in snow outside at 7, 7 a.m. And Gavin came, and he had gone into the hotel buffet, and he grabbed that amount of a big chunk of processed ham, and he says, that's all you need to get through today after what we did last night. And I couldn't believe that because here was somebody using I, I knew nothing about different fruit types i knew nothing about protein and here was a man telling me that will get you through don't look at it as food look at it as, as, as fuel and indeed it did and when i got home from that whole experience i realized that these two men had taken an interest in my health and i wasn't going to let that down anymore so i started training immediately and I pretty much haven't stopped periods of time, uh, of times I haven't. Uh, but in general, I've, I've kept it up. I often ask people for intervention stories. And what was their intervention? That has to be one of the most entertaining intervention stories I've ever come across. <laughs> well, you, you also hit a certain age, don't you? And, you know, you realize you've been coasting and really enjoying life. And... Fitness was never part of my DNA. Sport was never part of my makeup. Uh, but there comes an age you start to want to do something about it. Um, you know, when our little one was born, that was the most magical thing for me. So there was that. Um, and also, I found myself in this weird life. I hadn't 
um, planned a, a, a public laugh, so I just ran with that. But then at a certain stage, when that goes on for so long, I say, right, who am I and what do I want to do? And with the little one, how long do I want to be around for? So I made all those um, changes. And of course, I became manic about those changes, as manic as I am about anything else I do, which probably isn't that good, but here we are. And what was the turning point for getting into public life? How did that happen? What was the first show you did and how did you get into it? In 1993, I had a garden at a festival in Dublin called the Spring Show Gardening Festival that used to be held in the, Royal, the grounds of the Royal Dublin Society. And somebody looked at the garden that I had made and said to her friend, that's almost Chelsea Flower Show standard. And I began to wonder, what is this Chelsea Flower Show thing? So a few months later, I took the boat over to Wales with a friend and I knocked on the door of the Royal Horticultural Society who run this um, organization. And I knew I wanted to make gardens. I knew I could design beautiful gardens at the back of a packet of cigarettes and I'd win every medal going because I had something, I had the knowledge, I had the passion, I understood space and everything. But I wanted to take contemporary influence and it didn't exist I was quite frustrated that if I wanted to make a garden, I could only take influence from a woman called Gertrude Jekyll, who'd lived and died a hundred years beforehand. She made flower gardens, and that's all anybody wanted. And I thought, hold on, there's magazines like New Musical Express, The Face, there's pop videos like Michael Jackson dancing down the road, and when he, his feet touch the ground, it illuminates, the sidewalk illuminates. I want some of that in my garden. So it's pop artists like Warhol or Jeff Koons or whoever. Why can't we have some of that? So I, I was very hungry to push my craft and understand my craft as much as I could. And I thought, if I could get over to London and do one of these gardens in this place, maybe somebody would notice. And I went over and, as I say, knocked on their door. and they sent me out with my tail between my legs. They said, young man, we're an organization that's been going for 200 years. We've been running this show for 100 years and nobody has ever walked in off the street and asked to make a garden to Chelsea Flower Show. Who do you think you are? And I left that place really thinking every dream I ever had was had just evaporated. And, but they sent me an application form in the post and I applied the following year, and I was so excited about this, Carl. This was, you know, the Willy Wonka moment, the golden ticket moment. I, in Little Old Ireland, this young gardener was getting an invite to submit something to the biggest show of its type in the world. And I thought, right, what will I do for them? And I thought, well, I'm from Ireland. They want an Irish garden. I don't want to make an Irish garden. I want to make a Michael Jackson video garden. <laughs> but I designed a garden around the style, around a few lines from a Yeats poem, uh, The Stolen Child, Come Away, or Human Child, To the Waters and the Wild. So I picked that expression, did up a nice pretty picture, sent it off to them, answered their thousand and one questions on their forms, and waited and waited. And by the time... A, an answer came. I was homeless. I was kind of sofa surfing. But every Friday night, I'd go up to my parents' house for a hot meal. 
Right, a perfectly good home if I wanted to go back to it. And it was an envelope. And it said Royal Horticultural Society on the envelope. And I ripped it open. And I said, dear Mr. Gavin, unfortunately, your application. Oh. And again, I was crushed. Absolutely crushed. But then six months later, somebody dropped out and they rang me and said, we really like that, Gordon. Would you do it? And six months after that, I found myself needing, um, I think it was 60,000 punts. And I, I found myself probably at this time that year, in 1995, walking in through the grates of the Royal Hospital in Chelsea with 300 quid in my pocket. <laughs> and I had a pile of stones that I'd bought in Dublin to build a tower. I had all my plants in a yard in Ballinskellings in Kerry, been munched on by cows. I hadn't been able to afford to buy anything. I just dug up anything uh, in the locality down in, in Ballinskellings and no way of getting them over to London. And I had three weeks and three days to make a garden. And what we went through that year was, was quite unbelievable. And we did the garden. And nobody noticed. <laughs> uh, but that was my in, in, in introduction. But then, funnily enough, I came home. I came back to, to Dublin and was pinching myself, did that really happen? And I was sitting in a pub one evening, just a week or two later, and I, I was telling this girl that I was teaching, um, Ursula Courtney was her name. I was telling her, I was teaching her gardening and garden design, herself and her friends, Anita Nataro. And I was telling them that story. And Ursula rang me the following day and she said, you know what you told me in the pub last night? Did that really happen? And all the bits of it, I said, yes. She said, I didn't tell you last night. I'm a researcher for the Late Late Show. Mm -hmm. And she says, we have the Prime Minister of Newfoundland booked for next Saturday evening. I think he's going to be very boring. Would you come on and tell that story? Uh, if I could get Gay Byrne to bump your man off. And I did. And my life changed just like that. I, I went back to Chelsea. Changed enough to allow me to go back to the Chelsea Flower Show the following year with my vision of that amazing Michael Jackson garden. And if you turn up at Chelsea and do a garden, you're judged and you get a mark and it's like doing an exam you know if you put your name on the paper you get something and this was the first garden in years that they felt unable to award anything to and they wrote a letter to say go away and never come back because it just didn't work but unbeknownst to them and unbeknownst to me the bbc decided to put the garden on television and the garden illuminated at night like Michael Jackson's sidewalk. And whereas in real life it didn't look great, on television it looked bloody brilliant. <laughs> and then uh, again, overnight in England, instantly everything changed for me. So, uh, and I got a life through the Chelsea Flower Show. The following day I got offered television shows, which was weirdest in a different country. Uh, and then I got a voice, and um, it's remained like that ever since. And was the notoriety hard to deal with when it came? Because it came very quickly, and it came in, a, in an industry where notoriety is is, is rare, I, I would think. 
notoriety, it, it kind of, I, I, I was looking away, it didn't come that fast because the, the first programs I made, the, the first approach I had was the weirdest approach because there was a guy called Jeff Hamilton, who's an iconic gardener, was an iconic gardener, and he was the presenter of Gardener's World. And they brought me over to audition for this, and they said he's going to retire soon, and we want to ease somebody young in and whatever. And that would have been going in, and that at the very top, and that would have been absolutely notoriety, and I would have been found out. And two weeks later, he died, and they needed somebody of a name. So Alan Tishmarsh got the job. But they gave me another program to work behind the scenes for a year, making a program for a new session that would launch a year later, Channel 5. Uh, so it allowed me time to build up. And at the same time, I was doing programs for every station. I was doing programs on antiquities for Channel 4. I was doing local programs up at, for BBC Manchester and Birmingham. And so I had all these experiences that were fairly gentle. And by the time we crept up on people, then it, it just ex exploded. I started off with Kevin McLeod with a series uh, called Homefront in the Garden. And yeah, things went, because I had something to say, I didn't like the Twee English Garden. <laughs> and I liked, you know, mad stuff. Uh, Willy Wonka and stuff like that. Yes, that was... Well, we weren't in the days of Twitter or Instagram or anything like that, so I, I just worked hard and avoided it and then partied hard with my own crew. So, uh, But eventually, yeah, yeah, you have to defend yourself, but so be it. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Lay Healthcare. Let's chat about gardening and how it's rescued people over the last probably 10 weeks. I know I have friends who have found a new love for it and they're texting me photographs of the gardens and what they've done in the last couple of weeks and they're digging stuff up and planting stuff. And, and you know, the garden centres are back open now. Um, it really has made a difference to people's lives again. Gardening is extraordinary. It, 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 it really is. It's the ultimate in terms of creativity. Now, it could be gardening or it could be farming working with the soil, growing something, seeing a seed that you, germinating a seed, you know, it could be a tiny thing the size of a speck of dust like begonia seeds are, or it could be like a, a coconut is a seed with a new plant coming out, or it could be something in between like a, a, a an avocado uh, stone. But seeing something that a plant produces go on to make another plant is the most astonishing thing. And that other plant can be the tiniest thing, hardly visible with the naked eye, or the biggest tree you've ever seen. And when you begin to work with the soil, and that's always been my favorite thing, digging, training soil, understanding what the soil is made up of, and knowing what it needs, and investing in the soil so whatever you plant there will grow. When you do that, you have to be single-minded. You go out, there's a rhythm involved. You're watching, you're looking, you're learning. You might go out and you're a bit cold. You get warm very fast. And it's that repetitive um, action and that rhythm that just takes you away to another place and makes you start or allows you to start to dream about what you're going to do, what you're going to create and what you're going to grow. And it gets me every time. And I think it gets, people are discovering they have these plots and because we've had this extraordinary spring, and we, we shouldn't underestimate what's happened this 
spring. The weather has been, uh, there's been a lack of rain, but the weather has been extraordinary. So it's allowed us to go out. It's welcomed us out. The birds have been singing. And the lockdown coincided with, you know, the extra hour of daylight and everything waking up. And once you begin to notice that, you never forget it. And it roots us down. You know, this situation has been extremely scary for so many people. It's full of uncertainty. Uncertainty about themselves, their own health, their family, their parents, grandparents, friends, or, or, or whatever. But gardening allows some respite for that, from, from that. It allows you to do something, to settle into something, something that hasn't cost us money and something that's always been there. So it's been amazing. And in a world where people are searching for mindfulness and mindful moments, the reality is it's been on our doorsteps this whole time and it's the ultimate piece of, it's, piece of mindfulness. It's always been there. And yet, you know, we grow up thinking of gardens as a chore or unachievable or Latin names or there's a craft to it. And all you have to do is get out and get digging and your own excitement will come. So forget all the rubbish, forget all the media, forget all the television shows, forget all the magazines, forget the, you know, the style icons in terms of garden design or anything like that, or the Chelsea Flower Show or any of that rubbish, because that's all just fluff the real thing is getting out and uh, and digging and the mindfulness aspect is unbelievably powerful and, and, and then you know you find your you find your way you you find your own way through it you discover what you want to do and it becomes less about putting a hot tub in and less about um you know having a an amazing tree fern maybe maybe more about growing spuds or something like that or germinating that package of seeds that's been lying in a drawer for five years that came free with a newspaper. And if people have kind of rediscovered the gardens or the garden centres back open, you know, that's, I'm going to pull you to the tips now. I'm going to pick your brains for the, the simplest tips and the simplest advice for people. I know on your Instagram, you've got sort, you do uh, sessions, live sessions every day. My clients watch those. I watch them myself. They're great. What are the, the key tips for people? to do or to look for within the garden in terms of easy places to start and things that anybody can do if they're listening in? Okay, the first thing is don't worry about it. Don't let it be a hassle. Go out and enjoy it. The second thing is open your eyes, observe. The plants that we like to grow in our gardens tend to be productive plants, so they later produce flower or fruit. Anything that produces flower or fruit wants to go in the sunniest part of the garden. So Observe where the sun is at different times of day. Also, you want to be in the sunniest part of the garden when you're coming home from work and having a barbecue outside. So by observing, you'll see where the evening sun is or the weekend sun, the Saturday afternoon sun. And maybe you need areas of hard standing, a terrace, a deck or whatever in those areas. But the rest of the areas that get the most sun during the day, they're the areas that the soil really needs to be good. The sick to a good garden all lies in the soil and it also lies in working with nature so not too much chemical or artificial interventions if you dig over the part of the garden that you know you're going to be planting the fruit trees or the flowers that the roses that go on forever or the hollyhocks during summer or you dig out that area and if you can get your hands on some organic matter, well-rounded farmyard manure from a local farm or stables, stuff that's been lying for a year. 
if you dig that into the ground, you don't want it touching the basic plants that go in. So dig it in a little bit. Um, and you can either do that over a whole area or just as you're you know, digging a hole to plant, make it that little bit deeper, a couple of dollops of farmyard manure into that hole. The plant is going to hop out of the ground. Most things will need watering for the first year, but you don't want them relying on too much extra water. You want the roots to go out and search for it. So especially trees in their first year, they'll need a little bit of care and attention. But it is so easy because nature is on your side. One of the most remarkable things about this, Carl, is that where we live. So we complain about our weather all the time. You know, it's raining or whatever, or it's a bit chillier. But we have, we enjoy a temperate climate. And that means we don't get the extremes. I talk about the Arctic. I, I lecture a lot around the world, and it could be in Dubai, or it could be in Vancouver, or it could be in Russia. And the extremes, might, maybe Vancouver, Vancouver's quite similar to here, so it's a bad example, but Russia certainly aren't. Last year I was in China near the border uh, with North Korea, and there the ground is frozen for seven months a year, so it's a tundra, and they're very limited in terms of what they can do with growing gardens. Here, we can have our garden entertain us all year round. Because of these lack of extremes, we can use plants that have originated all around the globe. They come here, and a lot of them quite like it here. So we can have color, we can have form, structure. We have the, and because we have all this moisture, it's the perfect place to grow plants. If people want to find out more about you and follow your Instagram sessions, give us your, your handles. Uh, at Dermot Gavin. And we do, when, when the lockdown started, I, I was having a meeting with two lads on the day before Paddy's Day, on March the 18th, and the restrictions had just come in, and we were in a, a service station, and we couldn't sit down there, because all this, uh, and we were looking at plans for a garden, and we weren't allowed to hug or shake hands or anything like that. And I rang one of them that night, I said, this is weird, and it's going to be weird for a little while. And the, the lad I rang happens to be a particularly, his name is Paul Smith, he's from Carlisle, he's a brilliant young gardener. I said, there is something we can do. We can, because spring is happening, we can give some advice. So we got together with five or six people all around the country. And every night we're there at 7 p.m. And we just answer questions for, we play some music. We have a bit of crack. We play music on the vinyl every night. We have a, a bit of crack. There's a lot of slang. We call in experts from all around the world because Instagram lets you do that. And they tell of their experiences where they're gardening in Columbus, Ohio, or somebody who was planning to do a garden in London at Jesse Clark Show. We talk to them. We talk to growers who are growing plants for our gardeners. And we answer just thousands of questions. So we do that at Dermot Gavin on Instagram every night at 7 and at weekends at 11 a.m. Dermot, a very simple thank you for joining us on Real Health. I've been trying to get you on for a very long time, and I'm so glad that I did. Thank you, Carl. It's been great being here. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed that session. As ever, you know where we are. It's at CarlHenryPT on Twitter and on Instagram, and realhealth.independence.ie for any emails that you may have. As ever, don't forget, we have our book competition as well. Simply rate and review on iTunes to be able to the chance to win a copy of my best-selling book. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you soon. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.